Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chai with Rai, a life and culture podcast diving into the mindset and the business of being a creative. I am your host, Rai, and each week I bring you a guest or a fruitful message from the creative industry, all while sipping and spilling some hot garam chai. Now, if you haven't done so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. If you love this podcast and are listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you are streaming this podcast from, if you could do me a kind favor and make sure to rate the podcast comment and share it on your stories and social and spread the word it organically grows the show and connects us with listeners who haven't tuned in before and overall as i always say it just shares the love also if you haven't done so already you can now become a patron aka a supporter of chai with rye by signing up on patreon for five pounds or as i love saying it in this accent five dollars and fifty cents each month your subscription will help support the show but also get you exclusive things such as a 24-hour link to the unedited, unfiltered video version of the show before it goes live on all podcast streaming platforms, shout out in the show of your comments and of yourself, exclusive opt-ins to any of the guest projects. I'll put the link for the Patreon channel in the description of the episode, so make sure to check that out. So without further ado, let's warm up our cuppers. P.S. let me know what you're sipping on as you listen to this episode, and let's dive into today's episode with three very brilliant writers, Ruth De Silva, Ruby Kitching, and Jeswin the Blackwell Ball. Before we dive into the episode, I just wanted to take a bit of a space to say some words. Ruth, Ruby, Jazz and myself, we met through Tara Theatre, which is a South Asian-led theatre in the UK here in London. And recently, the artistic director, Abdul, passed away. And we have worked with Abdul as performers, as writers, as theatre makers in some capacity, as well as with Tara Theatre. And we just wanted to take the space to acknowledge him, honor him, and talk about that. Because in the episode, we talk about Dara Theatre, writing dramaturgy, South Asian theatre, and so many other things, such as like nuances, how to be smarter writers, how to safeguard ourselves. But we didn't think it would be right not to give it that breath, give it that space to be able to talk about Abdul and how he impacted us, but also how he impacted so many things at large and how he was as an artist, as a creative, but as a person. And we just wanted to do that. So we're going to get into that first. So I don't know if this is, I've never done this before. I don't know if this is a trigger warning or something in that realm, but be tender with this. Take your time with this. I know as somebody who lost their father at a very young age, this is very um, tender for a lack of a better word. So take your time with this and I just want to acknowledge, um, along with Ruby and Jazz and Rai, that Abdul had a, a wife, um, Nicole, who was beautiful. I've met her a couple of times, enough to find out that she was beautiful inside as well as out. Um, a baby daughter, an older daughter, and of course the Kortara team, who we was working very closely with. And I think everyone's just feeling this chasm, this gaping black hole in the middle of our theatre family. And what Abdul meant to me, because I've been knocking around for a couple of decades in the industry, and what he meant to me is that they used to be, for me, the right type of South Asian and the wrong type of South Asian. And for such a long time, I felt like I was the wrong type of South Asian to get into South Asian theatre circles. And with Abdul coming into being artistic director at Tara, there's no such thing as the right type of South Asian. 
and I felt so included and I feel I have such a strong family now I've got Rye I've got Ruby um, Jazz Beth Natasha darling Natasha at Tara Devishri Helen these are all really really important family members and I've, I've never felt so included so I'll always perpetually is that the right word I'll always forever be so grateful to to Abdul and I'll hold him in high esteem as as one of the co-creators of this family and I, I miss him I, I miss him greatly and and like like Ruby you know I'm still I'm, I'm still processing I'm you know I'm I'm worried about him post the event um I, I worry about all the pressure like his reach was wide like he you know I feel like I had a pretty good relationship with Abdul but I you know I realized there were a, a lot of people like me he was having meaningful conversations with with a lot of people doing something completely different with Tara and at the same time having a young family and at the same time theatre since the pandemic being in trouble all of this is is hard on a person mm. I think what calls out to me and I think I talked about this Ruth with you I don't know if anybody else feels like this and I think through the wonderful messages that I've been seeing because a lot of people have been posting on social and I'm sure the people who aren't posting on social that are taking their time to kind of just process this is I think a lot of echoes who he was as a person not just as a creative and he he really was kind and generous and open to so many things and I don't know if this is the right word uh, and I don't know how to phrase this constructive or combative in the right way, right? Really passionate about something. And I, the, the only thing that the, the, what saddens me is like, he, like you just said, Ruth, you just touched on it is take away the fact that, you know, first Bengali artistic director, working class Muslim, so many things like that. He ran a theater company, which predominantly uh, uh, everybody in the office was predominantly female. I think like that says a lot. He also was, had his hands in so many things and gave so much like life and love to people. And he would be like, when I would be cleaning Tara, he'll be like, do you need any help? Do you want me to move that for you? Oh, don't you worry or things like that. He was like really generous in that, suggesting things, really constructing into a story. I would hear conversations, how he would have conversations with writers and directors in that building but also just kind. And I remember we were at this like really big theater meeting with like the Marsha, Gali and things like that. And there was this organization that wanted to bring it together and do something really special. And Abdul was the only person and said, he said, thank you for doing this. But like, what are you bringing to the table? Because like, we can do this without you. So like in the interest of that, he really also knew his value and the community's value. And that when we come together, how it how it feels and I think those things really just said a lot about who he is as a person and the things that he he values and how he just was so I think yeah those things have stayed with me and so many people who had like individual connections with him and how they impacted him uh sorry he impacted them I agree reading the a lot of the Twitter and Insta um comments around it have been really moving and it you know I suppose someone I you know I I spoke to Abdul a few times and and did some work with Tara and being 
Bangladeshi myself, you know, actually Ruth reminded me the other day, you know, he met my father and was speaking in Bengali with him. And my dad was being pretty awkward at one point. And uh, he was, uh, Abdul was really respectful and inclusive again, you know, of, you know, your your part. And yeah, there, there are so many things that really upsetting me, you know, really like, and, and you, you just explained it well, right, in that there were so many levels and spheres of influence, you know, that he was working in, you know, so from, you know, the sort of the domestic kind of cleaning of, of Tara to, you know, probably the highest level of theatre in the country, you know, and it meant everyone was brought together in in that way. And, you know, it's decades in the making a person professionally speaking like like Abdul you know and I, I guess I'm not talking about the his private life here and so it's it's a huge I, mean, I it just it just feels so sad the the loss is immense and I, I suppose it's it says something that someone who's not that close to him feels so much <laughs> if, if you know what I mean I think it's um you know what you're saying about how long it takes for somebody like that to kind of reach their full potential and for those kind of qualities that he exhibited as a leader, a leader of the organisation, but also, you know, a leader in the field and a kind of cultural leader more broadly. It feels like such a monumental loss. And of course, it's like particularly awful because he was so young and this is so unexpected that it will take a while for everybody to kind of get over that initial shockwave so that hopefully there's something further down the line that can really kind of honour him and, and bring people together. I only got the chance to meet Abdul once. I probably didn't have the kind of experience or relationship with him that lots of other people had, but that came about because a friend of, a mutual friend of ours, an artist, Zainab Hassan, had asked him to meet with me just so that I could get some encouragement to get back into writing and get back into theatre. And he absolutely didn't need to do that. You know, as a complete unknown entity. He still made time in his schedule to sit with me for an hour and hear about my plays and my experiences and um, my views. And he was so open and encouraging and genuine and not a kind of like, I'm just doing this because I feel obligated, but genuine conversation about where I was coming from and what I wanted to express. And I remember afterwards he sent me like PDFs of like three plays that he'd read that he thought were great, that he thought I should also read, which he didn't have to do, but was just such a kind of generous way or an indication of the generous way that I think he really made space for a lot of new people and new voices and new artists within that building as part of his role um I think he really understood the kind of the responsibility that he had in taking over Tara and really had a kind of clear vision for how much more inclusive he wanted to make that so even though it was a very brief interaction I'll always be very grateful to him for that and for the kind of generosity that he showed so many of us can I say one more thing as well just piggybacking on what the three of you have just said especially Ruby and and Rai about the the working class for me he wasn't just a South Asian artistic director I, I think I've, I felt for a long long time that there has to be a class reckoning in theatre and I know we kind of almost it, it's almost become a little bit of a joke you know how we hold him up as a working class hero but he does represent a, a working class who don't normally have access to the theatre and I feel in there was so much of a in his politics and his artistic work there was a way of showing a way we could be British on stage and also acknowledging a, a working class challenge of, of getting into these circles that we've been so long excluded from for me was really really important and like Lynette Linton and Daniel Bailey um, at the Bush Theatre they put on stage versions 
of us that I can see a way that we can be British on that stage. And I feel Abdul was doing the same thing with less budget at, at Tara Theatre. I don't know if I said this. I think like I like so many things he wanted to achieve. So many things he wanted to achieve. And like the things he wanted to do with Earlsfield and Tooting and like just Wandsworth and like so many things he wanted to do into bringing people together in the community. Like I think Amar till this day is it's such a beautiful project it really is because there's a cross-country mix in it so it crosses boundaries it it tells the story it also is one of the few I, I think like in the way that it's integrated into technology what it speaks of volumes the the women who were involved in it like Bangladeshi stories or Bangla stories I don't know if people want to say Bengali stories or Bangla stories yeah just I think like I've never seen anything like that and I think like as South Asian people often we're like so submarketed and I think like there's there's a massive heap of like Punjabi and Indian culture out there and we forget about like so many other subsectors a lot of the times and it was just really nice to be in that space and to see his visions and the things that he wanted to do which I'm sure will carry on because the people around him really want to champion that work and really want to carry on that legacy and the space that he's created. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but you know, you know, right? I was I was just looking up stuff on on the internet, uh, just googling things like Amma and and Abdul, just to I don't know, I just wanted to read stuff, and an article came up from the Institute of Engineering and Technology, and they'd done a review of Amma because it had used VR in the theatrical space. And so they found that this is the new kind of way of using VR and, you know, its application and so on. And in it, it mentions how familiar the... So for those that didn't um, attend, when you entered the theatre, part of it had been converted into a living room. And for for those, well, for me, you know, and, and for a lot of people, there were so many familiar things that made us feel at home, you know, really small details. And uh, the, the article sort of draws on the oohs and ahs and, and picking up and, and touching stuff that everyone was doing. And that in itself was such an important experience of representation because that wasn't, we were in the stage, it, it the acting hadn't even begun yet and we were all mingling with each other talking, you know. And, and look, that's gone into a technology magazine it's not even theater you know so it's it's spread you know wide you know and and there we have a bit of bengali and theater culture that's gone to a bunch of engineers basically you know so that that's that's i guess what was happening with where he was going and there was you know and no doubt more and more to come you know um yeah Lastly, I just want to say a massive appreciation for Abdul. Our heart goes out to the family, the loved ones, your work, who you were as a person and how you impacted people, that will go on. And thank you so much. It was a privilege and we are very grateful to have a glimpse of that.
Should we talk about the art theatre, its impact, how we came to be connected to it and yeah, maybe how you came across it as well? So I came across Tara during Black Lives Matter and the pandemic. And my only experience of Tara was that 10 years before that, when Jatinda was at the helm, I'd auditioned for something. A one woman show, I think called When the Lights Went Out, going around schools and, and I got it, but I couldn't get out of a corporate acting contract I had. So I had to say no. And then I I never got contacted by them again. And I always regretted the opportunity. And just as a general rule of thumb, I found it really, really hard to get into South Asian theatre because being the age I am, you know, I'm I'm middle aged. Uh, previously, you'd be asked questions, do you speak Hindi? If you said no, you'd be kind of cut out by what I saw as the people who were mostly doing South Asian theatre. But then things change, come to the era of Black Lives Matters and pandemic, where I think so many South Asians were in absolute torment for not being able to express the effects of worldwide racism on them. And part of our culture is not to talk about it and to push it down. To, to carry on, to suck up to the constructs that already exist. So I was in a lot of pain creatively and personally. Personally, I felt I couldn't express any of the racism that I, I felt I'd had a lifetime of because it was, it was trampling all, all over Black Lives Matter and it was so important that we supported the magnificent movement that was happening at the time. But also creatively with the pandemic, with everything shutting down and having no way of paying the rent, earning income, just feeling totally lost as a creative, unsure of what my voice was. And Tara really, really saved me, I feel. It, along with other other theatre companies such as 503, which also set up groups, I felt it introduced me to a whole set of new people, Renu Aurora, Anjali at Tara, Abdul was soon to come in as, as artistic director, I think Beth Capilla, who's such an important creative force in my life, was also part of that initial group. Ruby, I met you there. Rai, I think I came across you at that time. And I was so shocked at how much we shared, how much we had in common. And I could express things. I could express things I've expressed to no one. And it made me realise that I've been running away from connecting with other South Asians because I felt that I wouldn't be welcome. And then to all of a sudden discover through Tara, this South Asian creative theatre family has been absolutely life-changing. It's been absolutely life-changing to have the deep, deep connections I have, to have people who are always going to support my work. And not only that, but to enjoy other writing and other work from like a supremely talented bunch has just been amazing, game changer. Yeah. It really like raising the bar of what we are hoping to achieve as well. Yeah, that we we all have attended the playwriting group. Is it all right to, to mention that at this point? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, think anybody's going to stop you from talking about. Asking later and and wanted to focus on later. No, no, no. Go for it. Yeah, exactly as Ruth said, like feeling like you belong and and being able to like you know feel a sort of creative critique I suppose you know that that means we keep trying harder so I think I've I've heard everyone's plays through that playwriting I didn't come to Jazz's Jazz I'm so sorry <laughs> yeah, I was in the Philippines you. I was in the Philippines <laughs> you didn't come to mine either right <laughs> I'm intrigued to know what happened though <laughs> but you know the just you know listening to the plays 
hearing amazing actors read the plays, discussing the plays, having a chat and a biscuit. You know, Beth and Natasha, they've both, you know, run these groups so openly. And it's been an enormous learning experience for me. And 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 just like for me, I don't think I'd be pursuing playwriting if it wasn't for, for Tara and this constant in my life where there's something going on, there's something to see, there's people I can meet up with you know you know I suppose sometimes you think well why should there be a you know a subset of theatre you know created well it's to make make sure people like me feel like they belong I suppose and and keep at it because and I I do remember a, a kind of a zoom call at one point as we were coming out of the pandemic and a huge fear that Tara wouldn't have these sort of weekly check ins that they were doing or the you know and and in some ways I feel like the playwriting group is is quite a constant. It, it you know it, it's there. It's free. You know it's like if so long as you can make it, you're part of something. And you know that was it's hugely you know generous. And the quality of writing is is brilliant. And also it's you know what's been presented has been you know completely finished articles and works in progress. And understanding you know the conversations you have at those different stages is been really useful like actually seeing something that isn't complete but someone's brave enough to share it makes you feel like okay you know even those first few drafts you know you don't have to feel embarrassed about you don't have to polish it because I think I've been working on a play for a while and every every day is different and every time I read it there's a little bit of something I could change and it's sort of understanding that 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 that's fine and 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 also hearing where where things are finished that things might change there's a huge curveball that someone brings up and that's that's cool you know it's not like there's something wrong in the play so like that whole you know a huge amount of my education has has actually come through those those groups and I'm, I'm talking for a, a little bit but just to go back as I as I'm I'm kind of remembering the how we got into Tara and 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 Rai what you said about a lot of South Asians don't know enough about Tara uh, as well. So I, I was living in Tooting for a while and I never saw a single Tara production. And I would say this was, you know, more than 12, 15 years ago. And I, I it didn't reach out to me, you know, in, and I remember chatting with Abdul actually about this, like, I feel sort of ashamed, you know, that, uh, you know, I wasn't writing plays at the time, but I was interested in, you know, all things, you know, culture that spoke to me. And he sort of explained it that, you know, it was probably looking at an audience that was more like first generation South Asians in in Britain. And that's why it perhaps didn't appeal. I think there probably was more than that, but for some reason it didn't. And so, excuse me, years sort of went by and I I started writing plays and they, they didn't seem any road in actually into a lot of theatres and and it was only because of the pandemic I think the doors were thrown open in the widest possible sense because it was virtual that I could join a lot of theatre groups in some ways you know as a as a working mum I, I couldn't always get to a lot of things you know anymore and then from that point on under Abdul's leadership it was all that kind of bring everyone in and we'll we'll support everything and we'll produce what we can you know in this space or co-produce or whatever um and so then yes now I know about Tara and loads more people but 
you know, even when I had a, a reading recently, I, I, I got actors together through a, a casting call and they were doing films, they were doing TV and some of them had never come across Tara. And, you know, so... It was all happening. You know, we did reach them, actually, eventually. And, and that's going to continue now. And probably, you know, social media is, is a real help, isn't it, to kind of get the word out in a way that perhaps, you know, one theatre in, in Earlsfield, you know, was unable to. Because it all, you know, Tooting had a, has a, a South Asian community. There was no connection between the two as far as I could see. But, yeah, you, you can definitely see in, in Tara, there's, there's a, a wider Wandsworth kind of reaching out as well you know which which feels important so important the type of personalities that are in the building at Tara which I think has made it possible for this inclusion to be supported that you know there's there's just a team of of women that have been there who you know have really supported Abdul in his wanting to throw the doors open like Devashree the general manager she's so welcoming you know, most theatres want to keep as many people at bay as possible, whereas Devashree is the total opposite. She's so sweet and, you know, she'll talk to everybody and she'll really put a lot of social effort at, at these functions and, and open sessions into making everybody feel welcome. Helen Jeffries, who must be the busiest woman on earth, <laughs> she'll, even, even if she says only two words to you, she'll make sure that they're, they're the most friendliest, welcoming two words ever. And then these two amazing young women, um, Beth Capilla, who is associate director, and then Natasha, they're, they're so inclusive. Beth actually picked up um, my my play out of a pile of pile of scripts and she was reading she was putting the hours in reading play after play after play trying to get through as many as possible and then Natasha when she runs those um play reading mornings she's absolutely brilliant she it's like she works for UNICEF but <laughs> diplomatic prowess where I think Rye we were in the, the same yeah she's too diplomatic for mine oh no she She's and good. Then Jazz because... comes in with her like critical things. Which can I just say, Jazz? I've stolen some of your questions for my R and D grant applications. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Ruth, finish your thought, and then yeah. Let me finish this anecdote. You know, you have people saying things that would get normally um, get them cancelled, whereas Natasha's brilliant. You know, when somebody said that one time, Rye, I I just can't find any South Asian talent. Oh, I wanted to punch them in their <laughs> face. <laughs> And Rye wanted to punch them in their face, but Natasha was like, mm, <laughs> tell me more. But I think that is important, you know, that we can, you know, people can express these attitudes, opinions. And actually, Tara is very good at producing this group dynamic that houses this and makes it makes it safe. Well, there's an archive now. So to that guy, you can go on my website and go through that archive now. Oh, no. So we can Do you guys know you're in an archive as well? No. Enough. You don't know this. No. I made a global visual South Asian work in progress archive, which houses, it's work in progress because I'm going to continuously update it. It has actors, writers, oh. books, choreographers, organizations, films, books, everything. So it's just like continuously going to get updated. It's on my website now. Yeah. That's amazing. Well done for saying that. Because <laughs> I was tired. I was tired, I tell you, tired. And it has everybody from like Canada to UK to like Bangladesh to Sri Lanka. To, yeah, that has lots of things. Oh, just wow. speak for crying out loud. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just have less experience with like my experience with Tara is literally just attending those play reading groups with you. So I guess I just kind of have left to say about my relationship with that institution. Also, I don't really write anymore. So I guess I'm not kind of like 
actively involved in trying to get my own work produced or, or, or like that. But I, I I kind of started coming to those play reading groups because Abdul encouraged me to when I met him, partly because I kind of wanted to see whether I would want to dip my toe back into writing again, but also because with my academic hat on, I really wanted to know like what's going on in British South Asian theatre, like what are people writing about, what are the stories that are coming up now, like what is kind of happening to this whole kind of ecology of, of South Asian theatre in the current moment where we're seeing more opportunities for those stories and those voices, but not you know, that that doesn't necessarily mean that the stories are good <laughs> or that diverse or that representative of like, uh, you know, the, the experiences that people are living and going through. So I just kind of wanted to see what was being produced, like what was being written. And I've really enjoyed them because A, I think like as somebody who used to write, I think they're like a very productive dramaturgical space for people I think the conversations have been like really well I mean I know when we read my play I found the conversation so helpful and fruitful and I hope other people have had the same experience but also it's just been great to see like the breadth of what people are writing and like the sheer range of styles topics experiences locations backgrounds identities that are coming through I think for a long time I felt like what counted as British Asian theatre on mainstream stages. So what was kind of making it out of the Tamashas and the Kalis and the Taras and getting to places like the Royal Court of the National was for a long time quite a limited representation. And it's really nice to see just how much experimentation and like difference and kind of like artistic expression is now coming through from a younger generation. So I've really enjoyed it primarily for those reasons. Jazz, it makes breaks my heart a little that you say, and I don't write anymore. You know, you write, you write, Jazz. You just write in a different way. Let's not I don't, say yeah, that. I don't write plays anymore. That's that's true. And like, yeah, I mean, I I have like tried to, I've tried to dip my foot into some of these groups as a way of like sussing out whether I want to get back into it. And like in my head I do, but I think without turning this into a like jazz's writing therapy session, <laughs> um, I just think when I was younger and I wanted to write and I wrote quite a lot, I just always had such a clear idea of what I wanted to write and then I was able to do it and I just don't have that anymore. So if a kind of clear idea or vision was to come to me, I would pursue it, but it just hasn't happened. I can't wait to ask you how you write then and how you (laughs) versus how you do it now. Do you know what is interesting? Wait, is it Matthew Zia or Jai? How do you say this surname? I don't know. I thought it was Zia, but I'm not sure. It might be Zia. So Matthew, who directed uh, Tambo and Bones, I think they had an episode. I think it might be Matthew Jitinder Chehra, the casting director. Two very different people. But I think what's really interesting about that is small organization government funded with a big vision because if you think about it I remember once Helen said this that they have such a small space they physically cannot make money off the shows that they make that's why government fundings and support and investors are required for small and regional theater companies because that's how they're going to thrive and tell the stories and make it into co-productions and whatever and take it on to bigger spaces but what I wanted to say is Matthew Jai talks about this back in the day when Theatre Royal Stratfordies was the space where like so many things were coming out of it and now so many directors have come out of it and you know, a bunch of talent that have gone on to do something. Accessibility was the thing. 
those people that have now come up, they could go up to the offices and talk to the artistic director, the associate, the managers and things like that. And I feel like at Tara, wherever you are, you're usually able to do that. And I think the way that it's set up, I think it's really wonderful how they've done that. It takes, it demystifies so many things, the gatekeeping, which Ruth, you touched on as well. And it creates such a, like a frank conversation because they understand the exchange as well of it from a business perspective that they, these people will bring in these people that we can make better stories, nuanced work and things like that. So I find it so much better, which brings me to my favorite question, which Jazz is going to answer. I personally found that in the last couple of years, while visiting lots of, and I said this in the play reading group as well, and I've said this on the bloody podcast a thousand times. So we're going to rephrase the question, which is these South Asian plays that are like in mainstream commercial theatres, I always feel like they have like a historical or a trauma or like something that exoticizes our culture. So it's a bit more palatable to the universal audience, though they might touch up on like current issues. I feel like they're packaged in a way, which is like, there you go, take it all. Whereas I'm interested in how we can write nuanced and smart stories while still writing from a perspective of being South Asian. So my question to you is, Jazz, what do you think makes a story, and then everybody else gets to answer it, better, smarter, nuanced stories that get us into those spaces so that we can all Oh my God. At the table. Well, you're asking me how to write better stories again. Yeah, because you're. Uh, if I you knew know. the answer to that, I would be doing it. But also, it. you have a critical eye. And what, by the way, can I just say this is the question I took from you that I put into my art application because you said this when you were about to bring your play. You were like, I'm interested in knowing, if, if I'm correct in saying, paraphrasing it, if your story is still relevant. Ooh, the relevancy of your play and I was like that's such a fucking good question I want to find out if my play is actually relevant to be told mm. in a funded space to be commissioned because mm. I think when I go watch theater there's a lot of shit on there that I'm just like why are you on there yeah I mean I, yeah that's like a, a lot of questions all really really difficult questions and you have two minutes to answer ah, um, <laughs> well I, I think that it's like a bit of a like difficult walking out right because I think you do have to be pragmatic as an artist so if you want your work to be staged if you want to like create relationships and dialogues with other spaces and theatres I do think you need to think about what you're sending them what you're writing for them and like who's the audience for that and you know who does it speak to on the other hand I also totally believe that as an artist as a writer you should kind of write the story that you want to write so it's a bit of a like difficult balancing act I think it's also it's always thinking about like who who should see this or who do you want to see this and where are you going to find that audience I don't know I think I, I think one of the things I really enjoyed at the, at the Tara play play reading group was that a lot of what we were reading were not like South Asian plays with like capitals they were just plays that happen to be written by South Asian writers and happen to feature South Asian characters and the the kind of centrality of of them being a South Asian play was not uh, you know that wasn't the central thing actually 
that was kind of secondary. It just so happened that these are all South Asian writers. I don't think we see that much of that on mainstream theatres yet. I think most South Asian plays that make it to big mainstream stages are still capital South Asian plays. And I think maybe that's like a necessary stage that we have to go through whilst theatres and audiences get more used to those voices and those plays and those identities. It's an unfortunate step maybe, but, but I think we're kind of starting to get beyond that. And hopefully we get to a place where it's like, you know, you can just write the story and if it happens to have South Asian characters and a South Asian writer, that's what it is. But the whole, the story doesn't always have, as you say, have to involve some big historical or political or, or identitarian theme that marks it as a South Asian play. I don't know how and when we get there. If I knew that. <laughs> I would be rich. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I feel like I kind of sidestepped your question, Miss, because I don't know. No, 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 I agree. Is there a tool or trick for you that you, by the way, keep these questions in your head as well, Ruby and Ruth. Is there a tool or trick for you that you think as new writers we can implement in our work so that our stories are not... Are, are smarter, nuanced. Is there a tip or trick? I don't. I think you always have to ask why you're writing this story, like what it is that you're trying to explore or express, by which I don't mean like what is your message because your play doesn't have to have a message or like a single meaning that you want to take away, but what is the, the question you're trying to explore or what is the question that you're trying to answer? And if that's not something that has wider appeal beyond like something that you're trying to express about yourself, then maybe you need to figure out what it is about this story that is that is gonna have something to do with the audience as well and not not just about you if that makes sense of course most of what we write is going to start in our personal experience but the process of writing is about taking your personal experience and that material and carving it and making it into something you know for a wider audience so what is that and then just in terms of like general writing trip I think something I constantly would like bring up when we were doing our playwriting group was like cut your exposition or start your play like 20 pages in. I think like loads of the plays I would suggest like what if you just started it on like page 20? Because <laughs> I think we spend so much time like warming up as writers, particularly as new writers. And a lot of that can just, I, I guess, have more confidence to jump into your story and trust your audience will pick up what they need to pick up. Trust your audience more maybe. Trust your audience and treat your audience with respect. Maybe that's the answer. Title of episode, trust your audience. Yeah. Unless, unless we find another uh, title. Ruby, go, because you had your hands and you were like... Oh, I was just... Uh, the, the, there was so much that you were saying, Jazz, that was like ping, ping, ping in my head. You know, <laughs> being able to access your thoughts and mm. and and go deeper into those thoughts is is an important skill you know that so as a, as a writer you you might be great at writing but if you can't access access the deeper meaning of why you've written it's never going to improve and I, I suppose I think that is a huge wall or stumbling block to to overcome I think the truth wins always you know that if you can access those deeper thoughts and you keep writing and you 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 feel what you've written is the truth it's going to win somehow tomorrow or in a year's time I, I'm holding on to that I do believe that because if you write there's only a certain budget it needs to be a, a duologue or whatever you're restricting yourself and it's never going to be as good as it could be maybe it does work as a, you know as a two or or a monologue or whatever you know but yeah accessing your deepest thoughts <laughs> is really important and then feeling like you understand your truth and and I suppose that playwriting group I think is a really safe place 
to hear what other people hear in what they've heard, you know, in your play. And, and all those things, you know, when you ask yourself those questions later, you know, bring out something better. I mean, actually, Ruth first read something I, I wrote and which I felt like I'm not going to look at this again because there's so much wrong with it. You know, I couldn't bear to kind of go back to sort of put it right. I knew it wasn't the truth. I knew, you know, there were and so on. And and just a few supportive words of encouragement and some quite insightful kind of dramaturgy, I suppose, in some ways, Ruth, helps you access that deeper thought that's that's there. And so in that sense, like all plays could eventually be on stage, you know, if, if they have that truth and that that depth. And and right, what you're saying about this, there's go and see plays. And sometimes you do think, why the hell's that got on stage? Like, you know, it, it was it was great. But it was on the whole, I sort of think, well, it's access, it, you know, it's kind of it's not ticked all the boxes, but theatrically it's correct. Maybe that that's it, you know. So, yeah, so that, that's yeah, that's that's my feeling. And, and and the other thing that you you mentioned about the kind of historical context of empire and legacy and all that, that that keeps coming up. I don't want to watch those plays, if I'm honest. You know, I don't want to go and watch them if they're billed as being a historic play. But I will enjoy them because they they're always nuanced. You know, they you know they they're trying to do something that takes things forward. But yeah, on the whole, as Jazz said, I, I want I want plays that you know me and my mates will go and enjoy without having to go back in time all the time and. And interestingly, a piece of work I did with Tara called Artists Make Space that, that brought artists in the UK together with artists in Bangladesh. When when I was paired up, you know, everything that I was thinking about was often looking at, you know, the legacy of, of empire, I suppose. And, and what I was told by, you know, my counterpart in, in Bangladesh is like, do you know what? We don't think about it so much because like, we're pretty comfortable in our culture and in, in how things are going and producing art. And, and I was just like, crikey yeah there's yeah it's like shed the baggage sometimes (laughs) i think we're fed that narrative and i think this is what needs to happen i think all the theaters and people need to get together and if your story has anything to do with partition and history you're out i think i I think i think it's more like about what do those histories mean today right because i think that's kind of what you're getting at ruby and i totally agree like i I think it's completely fine for us to have store like you know south asian stories that, that are that are about this or are like dealing with this legacy because that's who we are that's our history that's how we got here and it still shapes our experiences and our identities today but I'd like to see more of that reflected through the present and like current experiences rather than always a focus on like the kind of historical experience or narrative not that those things are not important or not producing great plays but there has to be a balance I would say on the other hand, though, like it is important to see the kind of like political focus within South Asian plays, because I think for a long time, a lot of South Asian plays that we got in Britain were just like domestic dramas. It was all about like family drama and like, you know, culture clash in the family home. And, you know, so many um, British South Asian plays were just about families at home dealing with their trauma in the household basically and it is good I think to see some kind of more like outwardly focused or stuff that deals with like bigger political questions but that can always be happening through a kind of current narrative and like current experiences here's my cat sorry (laughs) well that brings us on to Ruth whose play has nothing to do with being South Asian well it's interesting because we are politicised as people of colour against our will, I feel, by a white middle class industry. And this, can I share my formula for oh. 
playwriting and how how we make a play that does everything that Ruby and Jazz is talking about. It's politically relevant, it's nuanced, it's it's talking about a colonial drip rather than actually going back to the source and just showing how we are today and all the nuance of that. You can, but you must start by saying today the story in Balamori is. <laughs> today the story in Balamori, or rather today the story in South London is. <laughs> there has to be an intact philosophical truth at the heart of each play. For example, um, my play Bungalow, the question there is, how do you care for the elderly parent who used to abuse you? My play, I Love You, Pretty Patel, the question there, why do we why do we hunt for love in, in places that don't love us back? For, I'm writing a Medusa Heard, which is Medusa and Amber Heard story. The question there, how can we be safe? How can women be safe in a world that's set up by men. And I think once you're in true contact with the the core truth, then you have to utilize all your playwriting craft, which is what space are you writing for? What do you want to do to the audience? What is the impulse? Do you want to provoke them? Do you want to entertain them? Do you want to educate them? What what do you, you do you want to do all of that? What do you want to do? How can you give the audience what they want? Audience need action, they need change, they need structure. They need a satisfying midpoint. They need a satisfying resolve. And then not only that, but once you have all that intact, you've done your, your truth, you've done all your playwriting craft. How do you then package that product in a way that is palatable towards the mainstream audiences? How do you frame it? So Ruby and I come from a time where there, the, the, you know, there were lots of titles floating around like, are there samosas in heaven? Uh, <laughs> Oh, sorry, dreams. <laughs> you know, when a white mainstream person sees uh, a name like Ruth de Silva or Natasha Katikandra, and they Chandra, see, by the way, oh Kendra, sorry, Chandra, 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 Chandra. sorry, Natasha. Then can you have a title that does not reflect the name? And I think that's the political bit, and that's what we're trying really, really hard to change. But I think there's broadness and specificity the more you can really drill down and be detailed about your experience the more the more universality you're going to find I, I really agree and also to go back to what both Ruby and Ruth were saying like I think you can sometimes see when a play is like really well constructed and the person has all of that kind of craft work down but you just feel like the ideas needed more baking time you know right like the actual kind of the heart and soul of the play the ideas that it's trying to express or explore just needed, I don't know, to be marinated a bit longer. <laughs> don't know, I keep using cooking metaphors. And so if you don't have that, you know, as you say, like that kind of central question or that central thing that you're trying to explore, all the craft in the world is not going to be able to completely disguise that. So I think it's important that we spend more time kind of interrogating our ideas that are the ideas that are driving our work. But don't be too academic about it, otherwise you'll just tie yourself up in knots. I think there is a thing about letting characters talk to each other. I think that's the first thing anybody hears when they go to a creative writing session, is just, just let it happen. Somebody said something recently, first draft on wine, second draft on coffee, which I think is really good. What's the third, fourth, seven, six? Yeah. <laughs> what are they on? Do we just keep... Minor drugs. <laughs> Right, yeah. Illegal just, drugs. Then we go into like pasta and we go into like waffle. What, what are the last people? All right. I want to do one more deep question, and then we'll just do fire rounds and play games. How about that? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna offer you a couple of questions and you all just have to pick one 
and then we dive into that. So one of them was authenticity versus representation, which we talked about. What makes good theatre for you? Being boxed. That's the third question. And the fourth question is the viability of being a creative. So which question calls out to you more where you can just be like, oh, yeah, let's mm. get into the meat of that. And then the rest, I'll just do fire rounds. Can we do authenticity versus representation? Because I feel it's such a burning that the, what, Ruby's got the Ruby's got it as well, you know. <laughs> what, what does it mean again? Authenticity. Authenticity versus representation. So I can explain that, uh, which is you have written a play with a specificity in mind of, oh God, I just gave this, a Ukrainian drug dealing transgender activist. Okay, that's that's your central character. Does the play need to have somebody who is like a director who's either Ukrainian or an activist or transgender? Does the actor need to be a Ukrainian activist or a transgender person? Like, you know, this yeah, or a drug dealer. <laughs> Why not? Actually pertinent to my experience at the moment. If I'm talking about my play Bungalow and in the ne next 18 months, Beth and I are going to sit down and we're going to have to cast this. Um, it's Anglo-Indians and Anglo-Indian is a very specific almost nation that was created at the time of Barrage. Do, do I want only Anglo-Indians in, in that role to represent um, what I am, Anglo-Indians and speak for all the Anglo-Indians everywhere? And the answer is no. It just seems to me to be the meanest thing. You know, if you're a Bangladeshi actor, you know, if you're a Pakistani actor, this really rich, fertile play, which gives you a, a stab as an actor, doing some serious relationship building. You know, it has a brilliant dramatic arc, which is not very easily offered up to South Asian or, or people of colour a, a lot of the time. Do I want to exclude all those people from uh, auditioning for the play? And the answer is no. You know, I would be so happy for a actor of a different South Asian orientation to 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 play the role if if they connect with the themes they connect with the loneliness of 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 the characters if they connect with the, if they got the comedy chops to do the funny scenes the the only but i don't want to for example that you know you could have a quite a dark-skinned white person who who looks really anglo-indian and i i wouldn't want the role to go to them because they have so much of everything anyway like i just want to i, I just want to remove the focus away from white middle class and just just shine it generally on south asian on south asian cultures who could find resonance and play these roles really successfully i think so i think what you're describing there and <clears throat> in terms of the question it's the reason it's it's like a difficult topic is because it's kind of like how are we using the limited power that we might have over a theatrical production and who gets to work or be involved in that as a way of addressing quite historical wrongs in terms of opportunity and representation and so the boundary of like where we can and should do that is really difficult and so Ruth I think what you're describing is completely valid because you're talking about the fact that actually all South Asian performers and actors have a real lack of opportunity and so it's it's valid to kind of open up those casting opportunities for everyone from that background whereas South Asian performers versus white performers for example have very limited opportunity and so that's a, an instance where you want to make sure that the power that you do have in terms of casting or in terms of creative team is used in order to kind of address that that, that lack of opportunity, but then within the South Asian community, how are we going to necessarily argue for a breaking down of that? I just think it's 
Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult question because I don't think that an, an actor has to embody all of the major traits of a role to play it at all. If I thought that, it would invalidate the entire history of acting. But at the same time, we do work under an economic and material context in which lots of people are cut out of opportunities and haven't had a chance to have stories which represent them or haven't even had you know employment opportunities as performers. So it's always about a kind of like careful balance I think it's better when we're more open and say that we're doing this to address that lack of opportunity professionally rather than a claim that it's holding to a standard of authenticity because that's where I think it starts to get really problematic because if you really drive into that, it's like how deep do you want to go with how much somebody has to have lived or embodied this experience in order to accurately represent it. I think that can get into like muddy water very quickly. But if we say, well, look, people from this background rarely get these opportunities on stage or in film or in TV. And we want to make sure that we're using this opportunity to 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 provide that employment for people and to provide those opportunities for people. Then I think that's a, a really important and valid thing to do. Obviously, all of that makes an incredible amount of sense. I suppose the, the only thing that's, you know, niggling in my mind is, and it's an experience I've had, where you consciously try and to create that opportunity for that minority within the minority in order to just check you know because if you if there is that authentic authentic person out there they will add to the performance in the way that you may not be able to predict you know that that um, and maybe I'm saying this from a personal point of view actually you know so so what we're saying here is you know so if you were looking for an Anglo Asian actor you know acting in taking a role uh, part in in Bungalow how many are there and you know are they they right for that character you know so there's you might find one and then there's like still loads of you know reasons why you know they might not make the cut and you know that that's that's just I guess that's just life that's you know you know roles are are nuanced aren't they but under development I suppose when you're in the development stage I I don't know because I, I I perhaps feel like so I'm British Bangladeshi and there are a few people that I can talk to that relate to those parts some parts of my upbringing that you know come out of what I'm writing I suppose and yeah, when I had a reading recently, and there was a, a, a British Bengali person, you know, who who took who was playing one of the parts, I got such a strong sense of I don't, I don't know this this sort of like this you know so he picked out that this bit was so important in the play, you know, he was he was like jumping up and down that this is so important. He you know also said this bit don't like you know but and, and and you know perhaps but it was it was like really important to my ears to you know have that contribution I suppose and what I'm saying is it's not easy to find that person with the the exact ethnicity perhaps that you're looking for in in South Asian you know culture there's there's just so many isn't there but um if you I, I guess what I'm saying is if we can try and and find and see what's there you know, you, you bring something into your production that is really, really important that if you hadn't found that person, wouldn't happen. So so obviously, yeah, there's, there's, Ruth, you were saying about language as well. Yeah, South Asian plays have a mixture of English and, you know, another language. And so that already excludes a bunch of South Asians if they can't speak that language 
you know, authentically. And, and, and yet that is, that's important, isn't it, as well, that they can speak the language, you know, correctly. So what I'm saying is actually is quite simply try, try with the specifics and then widen out as you, you need, maybe. In everything I just said, I, I don't think it was directed solely to actors, actually. I think I meant now I reflect on it, you know, you know, anyone contributing to, you know, that production really, but I think <clears throat> these conversations are always also a marker of where we are with kind of like racial politics more broadly. And we have to remember that. So it's kind of like two contracts because of one, um, what I think you're looking to Ruby, which is absolutely correct and valid is that when you're creating these stories and these productions, you absolutely have to have people involved at all levels who are able to like genuinely reflect on these stories and these experiences in a way that betters the work, in a way that makes the work feel real. I hesitate to use the word authentic because I think it's really a problem versus a separate conversation, but, you know, feels thoughtful, feels careful and feels like it's done properly and sensitively, sensitively and correctly, if that's, you know, the right thing to be done. Then there's the other question, which is like the kind of embodiment of the actor's identity specifically, which is a more kind of specific debate that's happening. Whereas I think what you're talking about is kind of input at every stage of um, storytelling and creativity and, and how important representation is across like all levels of theatre making, which is, is completely true. With the question of actors specifically, I think it does get, it, the, the way that that question finds its pronouncement is always also a reflection of like broader conversations that are going on so one is of course about like the importance of representation of seeing people who embody your own experiences I think partly it's also a reflection of like how rubbish the state is for artists right now because it feels a little bit sometimes like we're fighting for opportunities because we feel like there's not enough to go around. It feels like there's not enough jobs and money and funding for everybody. And so you end up kind of often fighting one another or fighting other people who are also underrepresented because there's a feeling that there's not enough to go around. I think that's a logic that we actually have to combat within ourselves as well. We have to kind of resist that logic of fighting over scraps and fighting for what little there is rather than fighting for a greater share of what we know is available and fighting for more opportunities and more money for everyone. So there's that. And then there's also, you know, I think with performance and with like embodiment, not to get too academic, but we do also have a responsibility to resist a kind of like essentializing of race and being like people embody race within their body, you know, within themselves. And there is an authentic embodiment of being a particular race or ethnicity or group because that's not true and actually that's quite a racist logic if we follow it to its conclusion so it's it's a very complicated question because it's like how do you resist that whilst also ensure you're providing responsibilities for people who are historically marginalized and ignored and carved out of opportunities and representation so I don't know there's I guess that's just adding more <laughs> complexity to it. But I think it's really a difficult question in terms of like where, you know, like where we stand on these things. Something you, you brought up earlier, Jazz, I, I just really pinged with me about, you know, we're, we're kind of talking as if we are gatekeepers, but of course we're out with the begging bowl at yeah. this particular stage in our careers as writers and how much pressure there is on us to provide opportunity for other people and actually just providing the opportunity for ourselves is, a, is an equalization. 
and also how the industry is wired. And this, I think this is where we're, this is where we're unwillingly political, the way the industry is wired, that you have the white mainstream. And then everything else is, is put in a tiny, tiny competitive tick box. And, and I think that's people of color and LGBTQ plus. And I'm, you know, I'm part, I'm somewhere in, in, in both of those <laughs> groups in that tiny, tiny tick box. And this tiny competitive space that we've been put in is, is so, it's like a lobster in, in hot water. It's so painful. And we haven't put ourselves there. It's, it's the way hundreds of years of wiring of the industry has put us there. Difficult, difficult rubber band ball of problem to solve. But we're trying. <laughs> we're trying. We just, uh, you know, um, anyway, game time. All right. Who wants <laughs> to volunteer for being the first to go for games? Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Oh, wow. the <laughs> so excited it'll be you first the games are called sip a chai or play with rai where if you want to play with rai you play with rai if you don't you sip your chai the first is going to be speed round questions they're mm-hmm. called just a sip and you just have to answer the deep meaningful questions with a yes mm-hmm. or a no a very slight slight sentence <laughs> okay slight we talk too much <laughs> i'm saying we're stretched for time all right <laughs> Should form matter when you're writing? No. Should you know about the industry and have like a lot of research into it? So like knowing like casting directors, plays, blah, 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 industry networking schemes and blah, blah, blah. It'd be helpful too. Okay. What interests you when the moment you're watching something? So when that is like theater, listening to a radio, watching a film, watching a TV, what interests you? I'm surprised or shocked or something I didn't expect. What makes good theatre in your opinion? Feel something. Oh, I love this. What interests you in writing and how do you create go about creating the world? So give me three things. I have to write. It's how I make sense of the world. I just let it run. It's like rubbish, the first draft, you know. Any advice on the viability of our industry, a tool or a trick on how to be better viable as a writer or an artist? Find the truth in yourself. Find the truth. truth. Just you know, it's you've just got to do it for yourself and love it and enjoy the process. Okay, sure. Um, I thought it was gonna be like I don't know, suck up to this person and then they'll lead you on to that. Marry marry into money. (laughs) Your personal feelings about the industry sometimes boxing us. So whether that's being female, being you know, where are we? Global majority or POCs now? Or like ableist, blah, 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 blah. Well, sometimes it helps, doesn't it? Overall, this is this is an art form that is nuanced. So boxing seems a bit weird in that respect because everyone's so different and everyone's story is so different. Um, last, last fire question. How do you balance your unconscious conscious biasness when you're writing a story rather than letting the story serve you? And how do you safeguard yourself from the experience? So first draft might have all the biases in and then I'm someone who just asks a lot of questions of myself all the time you know and and I keep doing that until I'm I'm sure I suppose and then you've got to close it and come back to it a couple of weeks later you really do have to because when you're too close to it you can't you can't see it all right the next section is called if I was if you were a movie what would the original title of that movie be go first thing that comes into your head Ruby (laughs) (laughs) give me the IMDB storyline the logline that goes and explains Ruby four three two go she's small but she's mighty 
society. Yes. Help each other. This is a competition. Did you not hear? This is a com- We're fighting <laughs> She's small but mighty. Fabulous. Give me three actors that were starring Ruby. Kristen Ford. Okay, I don't know who that is, but sure. Aisha Darker. Meant to be your rapper. Matt Damon. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, could you Not say that last one? able to answer these last few questions as well. Sometimes I have no idea. Yeah, you guys are doing this very well. If you were a drink, what drink would you be? Free juice. If you were a food, what cuisine and dish would you be? Tandoori chicken with parata. Good. If you were a fruit, what would you be? Strawberry. Colour. Red. Clothing item. Socks. If you were a flower or a plant, which one would you be and what type? Sweet pea. It sort of like wriggles around, you know, on a climber. I'm here for it. Have you ever, is the next section, have you ever hooked up with a fellow artiste or admirer? Ruth, I know your answer already. No. Have you ever flirted to get ahead? Ruth, I know your answer already. No. (laughs) Have you ever joined the Mile High Club or done anything intimate, public? Yeah. <laughs> have you ever peed while swimming? No, I can't. I can't do it. What, you can't pee or you can't swim? Pee whilst I'm swimming. Like, you know, in the sea, I just, I can't do it. Oh, like, it's I mean, the best you know, in the world. You've got to get into it. I know, I know. It's so good. <laughs> in the sea, you know, in a pool, just to be Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know, I know. Like, my, my kids are always sort of like, you know, right. just going. I was like, it's, it's so not good. coming. It won't. I've got a, you know, wetsuit off or whatever, you know. Okay, your last one of this. Have you ever eaten within a couple of seconds of something dropping on the floor or in the bin? Yeah. All right, what would you rather? Cookies or cake? Cake. Rich or fame? Rich. Critical acclaim or lots, win lots of awards? Critical acclaim. Netflix or Prime? Netflix. Croissant or Parata? Parata. Fairy tales slash mythological tales or real life stories? Real life stories. Uh, regional theatre or mainstream theatre? Regional. Regional? <laughs> yeah. Regional. World peace or equality? World peace. Dogs or cats? Cats. Oh man, I've got both. They're both annoying. Anyway. New- I-, I can't wait for Jazz to say dogs and then her cat just jumps on her. I would never say dogs. <laughs> um, new writing or repertoire pieces? New writing. Jalebi or gulab jamun? Jalebi. Dal or dal? No. Chai or tea? Tea. The next thing is called, can you improv though? As a writer, you're going to pitch me in 30 seconds an idea, okay? Pretend I have a million pounds and I am feeling generous and I'm going to give you this money, but you need to pitch me good. And by the end, I'll let you know if not. However, in your pitch, in your 30 seconds, you must include the following three words. For accessibility reason, I will write them down in the chat so you know. The words are dandelions, joie de vivre. I don't know how to spell that, so I'm just going to spell it how it sounds, okay? And the third is laboratory. You must include these in your pitch to me, okay? Are you ready? I'm going to put 30 seconds on the clock. Your 30 seconds start in five, four, three, two, go. So they're these little tiny creatures that live on the ends of the tiny little things that you blow when you make a wish on a on a dandelion and they they need to have a reason to live in life and love in life and and i think that's something to do with joie de vivre um five seconds and and the way to help them is to test them in a laboratory well done ruby you can breathe you can breathe. Oh I will let you know who I give the million pounds to at the end out of the three of you. All right. Who's next? Jazz or Ruth? Let me go next. 
I'm terrified. <laughs> All right, Ruth, this is your sip of chai or play with rice, starting with a little sip. Should form matter when writing? I want to answer this with a one-sentence observation. What is form? Because Sarah Kane, who everyone sees as a form breaker, when you read her play, it's actually very traditional on the page. Good. <laughs> research into the industry so knowing like who's the who and like going to networking events or like who to call to or blah 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 matter yes it's an essential part of the work what makes good theater truth at the heart and the craft what interests you when you're writing and how do you go on about creating the world give me three things the core is the hurt creating the world is living in that hurt and what was the third piece of that question, right? Actually, let's, I'm going to add a third. Sorry, Ruby, you missed out. I had an external question, but I'll come back to you. Um, Give me a tip on when you've made the script and you're pitching it to places. Happiness and joy. All right, fab. Ruby, do you want to quickly give me a tip on that? And then I'll just edit it and put it back together. I'm not good at it. That's the thing. <laughs> I'll come back to you at the end. Your thoughts on being boxed in by the industry. So either female... Global majority, ableistic, ableistic, what is this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Being boxed sucks. How do you balance the author, uh, your conscious, unconscious biasness when working on something versus the story letting it serve you where it needs to take you? And how do you safeguard yourself? You write the thing as best as you can with your personality, voice and opinions fully intact. And then you get a few trusted people to read it and safeguard you. If I was is the next section. If you were a movie, what would the title, the original title of that movie be? Roast chicken at one end, curry at the other end. That's a good one. What would the logline be? Give me the logline that would go on IMDb. Four, three, two, go. She was a highly attractive, <laughs> supremely charismatic talented person who had to uh, kill everyone in order for that to be true <laughs> i thought you were like in order to eat roast chicken it's like sure give me three actors that would star in this go Whoopi goldberg for her um comic soul engelbert humperdinck this is the only famous anglo indian i can think of and oh gosh please help me uh marlon brando because he was just a total bellend <laughs> no, no, can, I, can, can you delete uh, that? Marlon Brando is there. We'll bring him back with AI. Fair oh, enough. Um, if you were a drink, what drink would you be? Coca float. If you were a food, what cuisine and dish? Chicken korma. If you were a dessert, what dessert would you be? I would be a chocolate Florentine. Color? Brown. Clothing item? All I can think of is chastity belt, and I don't know why I'm trying to... I can't think of any other clothing. I can. I know why. If you are a flower or plant, which flower or plant... Which one would you be and what type? I would be an orchid because it looks good, but it's a fungus. (laughs) If you are a fruit, what fruit would you be? I would be an Indian mango. Indian mangoes, you can eat the skin. All right, fabulous. Have you ever... Here's the next section. Do not lie to us. Have you ever hooked up with a fellow artiste or admirer? Yes. (laughs) Have you ever flirted to get ahead? I have, but warning, it never works. You, you flirt, you just you, you just really repulse people. <laughs> I don't know, Ruth. I feel like something oh, no, no. Have you ever joined the Mile High Club or done anything intimate public? No. Peed while swimming? I have in the sea. Ruby. See, Ruby, it ain't that hard. Have you ever eaten within a couple of seconds of something dropping on the floor or in the yes, bed? Yes, yes. What would you rather, cookies or cake? Cookies. Rich or fame? 
Same, same, same. Critical acclaim or win lots of awards? Win lots of awards. <laughs> Netflix or Prime? Netflix. Croissant or Paratha? Paratha. Fairy tales slash mythological tales or real life stories? Real life stories. World peace or equality? Equality, because if there's true equality, there will be peace. Dogs or cats? Dogs, dogs. Um, new writing or repertoire pieces? New writing. Regional or commercial theatre? Commercial theatre is for everyone. <laughs> commercial. <laughs> Jalebi or gulab jamun? Is gulab jamun the, the brown on the outside, white on the inside? Gulab jamun. <laughs> dal or dal? Dal, dal. Chai or tea? Chai. Next is, can you improv though? Your three words are <clears throat> leafy, pentatonics, and duh. It says, Riff to Silver, 30 seconds, can you improv though? Go. Welcome to my leafy grove where I, where I shall take you through some satanic pentatonics. Duh. <laughs> That's it? That's your pitch to me? You have you 15 seconds left. That gives me nothing. Well, she said it speaks for itself. That's that's the pauses, yeah, for, for what, how you consider my leafy pentatonics. <laughs> well, thank you, Ruth. <laughs> it's all I say to that. Jazz, you're up next. Let's oh, make I don't have answers for most of the second half. Got this. Should form matter when writing? Yes. Form is meaning and form is political. It absolutely matters. And should you have research or network into the industry, like knowing the who's who and blah, blah, blah? Unfortunately, yes. What interests you when you're writing and how do you go on about creating the world and a pitch? Big questions. That's nice. Yeah, just big questions. Yeah, okay, cool. Just big questions. Blah, blah, blah. How do you balance the unconscious, conscious biasness when working on something versus the story letting take you and how do you safeguard yourself? Um, and Ruby's answer is my, also my answer, which is just to ask lots of questions of yourself. Mm. Always ask questions. What makes good theatre for you? When it feels like what you consider possible is being expanded. Thoughts on being boxed. Think if boxes are useful to you, you should use them strategically. And when they're no longer useful, you should smash them. Um, Ruth, I might ask you this in a second as well. Viabil- uh, a tip on the viability of being a creative. Marry rich. That's that's it. Fab. That's pretty much your only option right now. Ruth, <laughs> Be born Ruth, rich or marry into it. The fab. Ruth, do you have a tip on that quickly? Do you want to interject? You need a supporting job that earns you a decent wage, otherwise you're not going to survive. All I, that. I like Jazz's answer. I, <laughs> I am not going to lie. That's the best answer right now. So uh, next section is If I Was. If you were a movie, what would the title, original title of that movie be? Live Jazz. Logline. TBC. <laughs> Give me three actors that would star in this. I don't know any actors that could star in a movie about my life. I'm sorry. Just, so it will just be starring you. I like this. I like this. Yeah, if I you, mean, there's, I don't think there's any actors that look like me or could star as me. I mean, there is one person that reminds me of you. Like, if I say that, you might... No, go on, say it. It's Michelle Visage. I don't even know who that is. She's a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll go no, no, no. She's 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 actually she did a song with Steps. Great, we'll go with that. There you go. <laughs> and she's actually a musical theatre trained person. Like she did a lot of Broadway in America. Perfect. I mean, I can't sing or dance, so I don't know how that's relevant to my life story. But we roll. <laughs> we'll go with it. If you were uh, a drink, what drink would you be? A whiskey sour. Nice. See you Punjabi. If you were a food, <laughs> what cuisine and dish? I would be mutton curry on the bone. 
A fruit. A uh, fruit. I would be a big orange, like a large orange. Dessert. Pistachio cheesecake. Color. Red. Clothing item. Skirt. Flower or plant, which pipe? A house plant. I'd be like a big leafy green house plant. Nice. Have you ever hooked up with a fellow artiste, colleague or admirer? No, I don't think so. Flirted to get ahead? I don't think so. Probably. When you say I don't think Okay, thank you. I don't, not to my, not to my, my remembrance. Got it, got it. Nice save. Um, Mile high club or done anything intimate public? No, very boring. Peed while swimming? All the time. Every time I get into the sea or the ocean. It usually just comes out. It feels so good. It's the most freeing, lovely feeling in the world. You have to swim away from people and then do it, but it feels so good. Exactly. Or if you swim into like cold open waters and it all of a sudden it's warm you know what in the mediterranean you've got to pee in the med it feels so great yeah um forgot uh oh eaten within a couple of seconds of something dropping on the floor or in the bin yes what would you rather cookies or cake cake rich or fame uh rich critical acclaim or win lots of awards critical acclaim netflix or prime probably prime these days netflix is quite rubbish now croissant or paratha paratha Fairy tales slash mythological tales or real life stories? Uh, real life stories. Well, please, or equality? Equality. Dogs or cats? Dogs. I get it. Cats. <laughs> New writing or repertoire pieces? Uh, ooh, whichever is better. Regional or commercial theatre? Um, regional theatre. Jalebi or gulab jamun? Jalebi, fresh jalebi. Dal or dal? Dal. Chai or tea? Uh, chai. All right. 30 seconds, these are your three words. Cascading, serendipity, is it dipity or dipity? Dipity, I think. And sugar droplets. Going to put 30 seconds on the clock. Can you improv though? Go jazz. In a story of delightful serendipity, two people meet at a bus stop (laughs) whilst cascading sugar droplets fall from the sky unexpectedly. Um, how will these two people deal with this sugar droplet thunderstorm? Uh, where will they take shelter? And will this bring them closer together? That's very good. That thank, is you. Actually, thank you so much. And since I know you have to bounce off at one, I'm going to quickly ask you a question and then you can answer to it. Everybody loves a rant. You love a rant. I love a rant. You get 30 seconds to rant about anything and everything that you want. However, you must include the words or start or end your rant with what the chai. Okay. Have you got something to rant about? No, I don't. Does somebody else want to go first? All right, go Ruby. Give me something to rant about. All right, fine. Go Ruby. Sorry, Ruby. What the chai. We need more new writing in big theatres. Simply nurture us. We'll deliver brilliance so open up let us in brilliance will come <laughs> to the point direct to i think that's point. the quickest answer you've given ruby that's all i'm gonna say on that all right have you got something jazz no <laughs> 30 seconds what the chai go what the chai rishi pretty suella you don't seem to like people of color <laughs> what is that <laughs> Why do you have to prove how racist you are just to be good Britons? I reject that. Don't you realise the Conservatives are a sinking ship and they've put you at the helm so you can go down with it and you're being sacrificed. It's actually a live sacrifice, what the chime. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Jazz up next, what the chime, go. 
What the chai? Um, why on earth does the government think it's a, a good idea to constantly cut funding for the arts from school level to university level to arts council level when they want to reap the benefits of the money that the creative industries and the arts brings into the national economy, but they don't want to invest at any kind of grassroots level to produce new talent? It's ridiculous, it's counterproductive, and it's very damaging for all of us. Thank you. My last question to you quickly, and then you can go. I'm obsessed with joyfulness. What is one thing you do for yourself that makes you feel joyful? And what is one thing you do for others that makes them feel joyful? Yeah, for me, it would be um, like cuddling my cat on the sofa. That makes me feel really joyful. Um, and for other people, I like to cook for them. Oh. I think it's nice to be cooked for. Ruth, go. Having work realised makes me joyful. And I think me listening to friends makes them joyful. Ruby, go. I think going for walks makes me feel joyful. Um, with someone, I think, makes them feel joyful. Just walking, walking fresh air. Let's walk together. Well, everyone, that brings us to the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed that. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you never miss out. And don't forget to rate and comment on whichever platform you're listening this episode on. You can also become a patron and a supporter of the show by subscribing for as small as £5, or as I love saying, $5.50 on Patreon. I will put the information of the artist on the episode and any of the links in the description of this episode, so make sure to check that out. But as of now, I will leave you as I always do. Breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> now I must go, which means now I must go. That is copyrighted and I will sue. <laughs> Until next time, stay curious. <laughs>